Sleep for Performance Radio, episode number six. Today we are joined by David Wessels from the Super Rugby team in the Western Force. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio, episode number six. Today we are speaking to David Wessels from the Western Force. This episode was uh, was very interesting. Um, for those of you who know the Western Force, going through a bit of a difficult time at the moment, it was great to sit down and have a chat with David Wessels of the Western Force, the youngest coach in Super Rugby. As you will hear in the interview, David is an exceptional leader, um, in my opinion, for the work that he's doing at the Western Force, the culture that he's fostering, and the can-do attitude he has. It's also interesting to hear about how David focuses on sleep and recovery, the things he does the night before he goes to sleep, his focus on exercise through difficult times and how he fosters a culture of a can-do attitude at the force. This is a great episode guys, Uh, really suggest you listen to this entirely and feel free to share it around to anybody. This will be applicable to those in the industry as well as those in sport. In addition to this episode, um, I'm going to start reaching out for a bit of help in terms of the podcast. Um, We need to improve the sound a little bit and to do that's going to cost a little bit of money to keep the podcast ad free. And um, as always, this is a non-for-profit podcast. I'm going to launch a Kickstarter to try to raise about $1,500 to improve the audio of the podcast. So hoping maybe some of the listeners could help out with this uh, there is some rewards as well on the kickstarter page so you can get a free sleep and performance assessment if you donate a certain amount it's also a corporate fatigue management um, talk and we'll also have some rewards coming from the western force as well so stay tuned for those for those of you um supporting the australia versus springbok game this week in perth david wessels the coach has asked that you do wear the blue colors down to the team to, down to the game he does highly suggest that nobody uh, boycotts the game as some people have been suggesting. So please get down there and support the Western Force by wearing your blue colours. As always, the show notes for this episode will be over at sleepforperformance.com.au and if you have any feedback, please send it through. And now into the podcast. Quick sound check, and I just get to send it Dave. What you have for your breakfast? Uh, Pranitra, so good South African cereal. What's it called? Pranitra. That's when uh, that's when I knew Australia was uh, getting closer to civilization when they started to stock Pranitra at Coles. I never even heard of that. <laughs> what just happened to just eating eggs in the morning? Yeah, well, you got to talk to my wife. <laughs> All right, Dave. So we'll kick it off. So, Sleep for Performance Radio. Uh, today I'm joined by David Wessels, who is the uh, coach for the Super Rugby team, the Western Force. At the moment, many of you will probably be aware of what's happening with the Western Force in the news with Super Rugby and the kind of the battle that the Force are, are dealing with here with the ARU, Australian Rugby Union. Dave, do you just want to give us a quick overview of what's happening at the Force at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, they... they uh, um Sanzar, who's the, who's the uh, governing body of Super Rugby, effectively decided that there needed to be a reduction in the number of teams that play Super Rugby, and our local governing body, the, the AOU, Australian Rugby Union, um, unfortunately have decided that that, uh, that franchise or the franchise that should be cut in Australia is us. Um, and um, so naturally we don't, we don't agree with that, and at the moment there's an ongoing political 
uh, and, and I guess legal fight to try to ensure that, uh, that rugby is retained in West Australia. Um, and um, so at the moment, um, we've launched, a, we lost the first round of arbitration uh, hearing. Um, and um, at the moment, we've, um, we've, uh, we're going through an appeals process that hopefully we'll know the answer to that in the next, uh, next couple of days. Um, but it's been, I guess it's been, a, it's been the best of times and it's been the worst of times for the club. You know, it's obviously been very hard for all of the people involved because of all the uncertainty about our future. Um, but at the same time, it's been an incredibly sort of galvanising thing for the club. It's had, um, it's uh, you know, the other day there was a there was a rally here at uh, on a Sunday morning, and I think about ten thousand people turned up. You know, so it's had that sort of effect on the rugby community of of WA. And I think if if we get through this and if we survive, um, I think it's going to be a real turning point in the future of of, of rugby in, in West Australia. So Dave, when I when I speak to people here in WA, rugby fans. Um, and a lot of people know it. I've been doing some work with you guys in terms of research, so I, I, I keep getting asked for the inside scoop, which I wish I had. But can you tell us, what is the reason why the ARU seem to want to cut the Western Force? Because there's lots of speculation. But from your your knowledge, what reasons have you been given? Because people out on the street are going, we get good crowds at the Force, lots of people wear the colours around town, lots of people support it. Like you said, there was 10,000 people at the rally. Grassroots rugby is doing really well. We had nine players from the from the team here getting selected for the Wallabies. Finished second in the conference this year. Arguably one of the best seasons. Why the Western Force? I think that's the frustrating thing, Ian. Is I'm not, I'm not too sure, uh, and I don't think anybody's too clear. And I think that's that's really been the frustrating part is that we don't feel that there's been a a transparent process that's been followed in order to to come to this this outcome you know and uh, um, as you say you know we came we came second in the Australian conference in super rugby uh, with the same number of wins as the team that won it in the Brumbies we've got the most number of locally produced players ever in the team now we've got the most number of wallabies ever ever selected from the western force um, we've got the the we're the only uh, crowd in super rugby or attendance in super rugby that's going up um, so we're having more people come to our games this year than we did last year, um, and um, uh, I think our, our, our playing base in terms of community numbers is now the third largest in Australia, behind the the um, uh, 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 New South Wales and, and Queensland. So, um, in, in in many of those uh, sort of metrics, I think we stack up really well against some of the other teams and. Um, I think, you know, as I say, I think the frustrating thing is nobody really quite understands why why it's us, and and that's that's partly why I think so many people are putting up such a fight um, because uh, because we want more clarity on on how, how the AOU came to this decision. Yeah, and I think for many people as well in town, um, not just in 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 rugby, but in industry over the last number of years here in Western Australia and even in Australia more broadly. There's been lots of change in business, so many people would feel, you know, would would sort of um, would sympathise and empathise with what's happening here at the moment because business has lots of change in Australia, lots of uncertainty, lots of restructure, lots of change, lots of lack about the future. So, one of the questions, David, would be how are you personally dealing with this in terms of like kind of stress management and sleep, and how are you maintaining your focus and trying and well, not trying because you are being a leader during this time. How are you kind of making sure that your health and well-being, your sleep and recovery is optimised to lead the, the group through this time? Yeah, I think I think to be fair, you know, probably I've probably lost a fair amount of sleep over this time. But um, 
the real thing that I, I, I really take heart from is actually the playing group, you know, just the way that they've behaved. I can't, I can't think of a single incident in, um, you know, since we first heard about this, which is in February. So it's been, you know, it's been a, it's been a huge amount of time now that, that, that the playing group have lived under this stress. Um, I can't think of a single incident where somebody has acted in a way that you sort of feel, oh, I wish he hadn't done that, or, or he might look back on that in, in time and say, geez, I wish I hadn't done that, you know. And so you've got to be incredibly proud of that, you know. And I think, uh, to, you know, there's even, a, there's even a few players who have taken pay cuts to stay here next year, even with the uncertainty, even in the face of other offers. Uh, and that's pretty special, you know. Um, and so I think whenever I get too down about about the sort of the macro environment, I think you sort of look at, at what's happening here and, and you know, uh, the support that we're getting from the community and all that sort of stuff. And it really sort of, it really sort of galvanizes you. And I think, um, I think that's probably how we all feel. You know, we've all kind of fed off each other. And um, it's, it's, as I say, you know, that's, that's probably why I say it's going to be a turning point for the club if we survive, because it's, it's, uh, it's really grown us pretty, pretty close as a group and as a community, you know, and, uh, and that's, that's, that's special. And I don't think that's easy to replicate uh, unless you have some very stressful kind of macro conditions, you know, which, which this, uh, which this uh, you know, everything that's happened has kind of afforded us, which is, which is, I guess, in some ways, just very lucky. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You talk to military people as well, and when they're in these times of uncertainty or they're facing a battle or a challenge, it's when the greatest sort of teamwork mm. and the greatest leaders sort of seem to emerge in true characters. Mm. And it's really interesting because we're here at the Western Force today in Perth, and it's August 31st, and it's about quarter past nine in the morning. And I walked in here just before Dave arrived, and, and you know, you see the guys down in the sort of strength and condition area, and you can feel the buzz. There's not many of them there, but there's great energy. Tataf was there, Dan Hella Petty, mm. Richard Harwick, a few of these guys that had been selected for the Wallabies. It's our season, really, mm. for Super Rugby. And they're all like in there, working away, patting each other in the back, smiling, laughing. The music is pumping. There's a vibe about it at 10 past nine in the morning. Mm. And for a crew that has so much uncertainty, it's very inspiring to walk in with such a small crowd and see this happening. Mm. And I think for the fans out there and the people supporting the force, you know, there's just as much as, en- as much energy from the inside as there is f- coming out from the from the fans as well. Yeah, I think one of the things we did early on, which is um, we try to reintegrate ourselves more into the community, and, and that was before any of this happened. And my initial my initial sort of motives to do that was quite a selfish thing. I wanted I wanted the fans to buy back into the team. You know, I wanted people to come to the game and and support the team. But in actual fact, what happened was I think the players realised we went out to Kalamunda, um, and I think about. You know, 600, 600 kids rocked up to watch us train one day, and we, all, you know, all we'd done is sort of shared on social media that we were going to be there, and so it was, it was pretty breathtaking, you know, to see, you know, we hadn't been that successful prior to that, and um, to suddenly see 600 people turn up to, to watch us train was pretty special, and I think what it did was it, it had an effect on the players that it kind of, uh, you know, it showed them that people really care, you know, and people, people um, um, really wanted the team to do well and were invested in the team. And, and so then when we started to play and when we started to train and we started to train for something that was just more than just ourselves, you know, we started to realise that we meant something to the community. And it was just, uh, again, it was never, it's, I never planned it like that. It was never intended like that. It just it just happened that when we started to embed ourselves in the community, we got this wonderful spin-off. And um, I think that's what you see when you, when you look at the players. You know, the players feel very responsible for rugby in this state. And, um, and and they want to represent the people of WA in, the, in a way that makes those people proud. And so when you see them training and things like that, I think that's, if, if I had to say, what's the underlying motivation of, of their training? I think I think that's probably it, you know. 
Yeah, it's interesting to say about the kids because um, sometimes even here as a 39-year-old man, I even get a bit giddy because being a rugby fanatic when I was younger and playing rugby underage, you know, I'm watching things like the 95 World Cup and the 91 World Cup and 99 particularly when I was younger. You see these international players and then to come down here and work with a super rugby team mm. to hang around with sort of international players like Marcel for USA or... Um, you know, Dan and the guys who play for the Wallabies and see them on TV. Mm. Sometimes I kind of even pinch myself as, a, as an older guy and think, wow, this is kind of really cool, you know? Because yeah. when I was a kid, I, you know, if I met one of those players, I would nearly, I would nearly collapse, you know? Yeah. Like I remember like in the 90s, I attended a, a development camp for our provincial teams where they took the, I think it was like 20 or 25 players from every province under 16 and brought us to Clongo's Wood at a school in Dublin. And we had coaches there like Conor O'Shea, who used to play for Ireland. Mm. We had uh, Brian Robinson, used to be a number eight. I remember seeing those guys every morning as a 16 year old I used to go weak at the knees it was like seeing like a, a Hollywood superstar yeah. but even now still like you know it's it's been um, it's been very um, it's been very kind of I don't know it's, it's been a bit weird for me as well you know being at this level working with you guys but what's been awesome about it is the like you say is the, the collectiveness of the group for the last two or three years working with you guys the the, the, the team spirit that's here the, the guys are all great guys there's not one sort of dickhead that I've come across or mm. has been obtrusive in any of the work we've done we've had 100% participation and 100% participation in everything you know any media we've done any studies everybody's been brilliant and it's been so good and been a pleasure to work with you guys you know so it's been awesome so that, that's great to hear so so Dave um, what sort of things are you doing on a daily or nightly basis to try and relax your mind to face each one of these kind of turbulent days what sort of some of the things you would be doing in the evening before you would go to sleep to try and relax yourself? Yeah, it's been it's been a it's been hard. And I mean, I think I think one of the things is, um, uh, you know, probably on your on your previous point is if, so, if somebody had told me 20 years ago that I'd be uh, a super rugby coach living in Australia, living in Perth, which is a beautiful city, you know, I would have just said they were dreaming, you know. So I think it's important through all of this also to keep a lot of that in context. You know, my mom always says it's just a game. You know? <laughs> of course it is just a game. You know, yeah. In the context of, of, of everything else that's happening in the world, I think it, it's, it, it's important to just keep perspective on that. You know? And so sometimes when, when you get too stressed, it's, you, know, you, you try to just go for a run or something and just think about that sort of thing. You know? And you just, um, I think interesting enough, you know, obviously the, 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 the general economy in WA over the last the last uh, couple of years has also had a, a relatively tough time, and so there's there's people within the community, in in mining and and and, and, and different sectors that have that have also experienced retrenchments and different things like that, you know. So, uh, and 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 so, I think again, you know, we're in professional sport, and it's a, it's a real privilege to be in professional sport. Again, it's it's worth remembering that there are people out there that are probably doing it a lot tougher than we are, um, and so all of those things are helped. I think just help give you perspective. I think. Um, I think in terms of, of sleep, I've tried to do a couple of things. One is probably uh, I make sure I go to bed on time. Um, so uh, I'm always sleeping by Hobbes 9 at night. And what that enables me to do is to try to get up early in the morning and try to get through a few things before people come in. So I try to, I'd leave home probably just after Hobbes 5 and get into work pretty early. And that means that a lot of the sort of uh, um, kind of thinking stuff I can do pretty much in the office by myself here in the morning when, when, there's, when there's not many people around. Um, and I try to make a list of those things before I go to bed at night because I find if I, if I actually make a list of the things before I go to bed in the evening, then I don't sort of ruminate on, on it while I'm trying to fall asleep. Um, um, and um, the thing that I probably have resolved to do over the last couple of weeks is just do more exercise because that's the one thing that I... I think when you get busy, you, you tend to take shortcuts on that sort of stuff, you know. And I, I, I definitely, you know, 10 kilos ago, I was feeling pretty good about things, but I need to, uh, I need to address that pretty sharply, you know. So, 
Um, those are the two things. I, I, I would say that I, I probably sleep. I sleep pretty badly probably at the moment. If I'm if I'm honest, you know, you probably saw that on some of the, on some of the on some of the results. Um, but I got two little kids as well, so I got two kids under three, so that do, that doesn't help, you know. Um, but I, but I think the important thing is you're kind of acknowledging it is a kind of a turbulent time. You're trying to do the right things by having a routine, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. Yeah. And this is something we come across a lot. Of people think about getting up and er- getting up early and getting the jump on the day is a good thing, and it can be if it suits you. Mm. But what you're saying is that to compensate for that, you're actually going to to be asleep by half nine you know you can't kind of do it on both ends for your simple 11 or 12 o'clock at night and getting up at half five yeah. so and then the balance with the exercise as well yeah I, I think what happens if if, if, I, if I don't come in early like that I don't get the time to myself to actually do some of the work that just needs quiet time so watching video or whatever you know those sort of things and um, if you don't do those things and, and people are around all the day you know people want to try to try to spend time with you see you about different things and you get busy and Ultimately, you get stressed because you know you still have that work to do, you know. So that's one of the ways in terms of just the workload. I find that that's, it's more probably about getting getting through work than, than necessarily uh, optimizing the sleep. I guess it's it's, and as as a consequence, it takes away a bit of the stress. I think, and that that probably in turn helps me sleep. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. But one thing I would say, Dave, is that um, from the communication I've had with you over the last few months, you know, I email you and ask you things, and you always respond. And last Saturday. Actually, I got very inspired by one of, <clears throat> one of your emails, and it wasn't that you did anything extraordinary. It was one line, and I actually went into the kitchen. I said to my wife, "Where did you hear this email?" I said, "Dave Wessels." I said, "The coach from Western Force has just emailed me through with 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 something." But on the end of the email, you wrote, "Looking forward to working with you in 2018." And I thought, there's a man, but he's back up against the wall. <laughs> actually, the back in, he's back into the corner. <laughs> the chip stacked against him. And the positivity from that one line that comes through. <laughs> and I think that's one really good thing. I think, you know, at the moment is this optimi- opt- um, sort of, you know, optimistic type of view that you have, mm. which is probably dragging yourself and the guys through this, through this turbulent time. And, and sort of with this kind of, you know, focus on your health and well-being, as well it is it is a bit difficult but but the positivity and the optimism is coming through Dave I think as well through all this time what what, what do you think about that how are you how are you how are you sort of getting that is that is that a conscious effort to do that are you kind of saying it to reinforce it or you, is it just kind of how you who you are yeah well I think um you know somebody somebody once said you know um everything's going to be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end you know <laughs> um I think uh I think the the general idea is that emotions are contagious. You know, um, it's, it's a very simple idea of of uh, someone sort of spoke to me about leadership all winter, and, and I remember him saying that emotions are contagious. And one of the things we've tried to do here a fair bit is is build what we call our rewards culture. And basically, that just means it's very easy to come in an environment and see things that are wrong with the place. You know, you could everybody could talk about a million things that we'd want to do better. All the players know that there's 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 a million things that we want to do better, but the real energy comes from talking about the things that you're doing well or when you see an improvement in something recognizing that you know um, and so what we'll do is uh, just within the team is you know real simple things is that we try to focus on boosting the guys for 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 the good things that they do rather than pointing out their mistakes even if a guy's making a mistake we tend to try to tell him we try to reinforce the behavior that we prefer to see rather than emphasizing the mistake, if that sort of makes sense, you know. So even even when there's an error, we try to put a positive spin on it. And what it does is it just it just means that this is a place people want to be and this is, you know, there's an energy here and um, 
um, pe- people want to work here. We don't have the resources of some of the other teams. You know, we have uh, substantially less, millions of dollars less in terms of our in terms of our, our salary bill for players. So what we need to do is we need to make this a place where people really want to be. They enjoy being here, and once they come here, they know that we're giving them the, the best environment to work in, and they never want to leave. Um, and so we work quite hard at trying to do that. You know, we work very hard when we're working, but we're also very conscious about the time when we're off and we're not working, but we're just together as a team and then we're having fun. Um, so we try to differentiate between those two things. Um, I think I think optimism is a is is a choice. You know, you you, you can either you can either be optimistic or not. Uh, and I, you know, having tried both, I can tell you it's much more fun to be optimistic. You know, I think you just put yourself in a more positive mind space, and because emotions are contagious, the people around you end up being more positive. That's just a nicer place to be. So, that's in very simple terms why we why we try to do that. And to be honest, not always perfect because uh, you know there's times that we break our own rules and and things like that. And um, I guess the group sort of tries to pick us up from that and sort of change our direction, you know. I love this point about emotions are contagious because, you know, um, I'm coming to the end of my PhD, about 15 weeks left to go. And uh, coming back to your point, it's a bit like someone's had to pinch myself and go, wow, listen, might be tough, but you're doing a PhD, you're one of the best universities in Australia, and you're working with a great sports team as well, and you've worked with some of the best athletes in the country. Mm. And... Um, sometimes it's good to reflect on that and really be optimistic because you're right you start getting negative and it just spirals out of control I've mm. seen this in business I've seen it in military I've seen it in my own life as well yeah. and so yeah it's kind of what you attach or how you feel you'll, you'll drag that in with you Dave you're you are the youngest coach in Super Rugby is that correct? I was when I started, yeah, and then I've, you know, the stress of all of this has aged me about 300 years, so I'm now, I just turned 470. <laughs> <laughs> In dog years. Yeah, um, yeah I, I actually, I'm not actually, people have said that to me before, I'm not actually sure if it's true. I mean, um, uh, I was 33 when I was appointed here, I'm 30, I am turned 34 in February. Um, that's so old. But, well, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably a little bit older in coaching terms, because, and that's, that's simply because I was smart enough not to waste my time playing, you know, like I realised that that's, I, was, I, was, uh, I was pretty terrible as a player, so I realised early on I was never going to make it as a player, you know, and I, I started coaching pretty much straight away, uh, uh, you know, straight after I left school. So a lot, of, a lot of coaches, you know, wasted the first 15 years of their, their life after school playing um, but I didn't I didn't do that you know so uh, so I started coaching pretty young I started coaching um, under nine under nine C's at the time which was uh, you know coaching is a pretty liberal description of what was actually taking place there, you know but I mean it was good fun and I just I've been incredibly lucky with just the people I've met along the way and the opportunities I've got you know that sort of as I say you know if someone had told me years ago that I'd end up coaching super rugby in Australia that would be an absolute pipe dream you know so it's been a, it's been wonderful, and I just I love it. You know, like I love coming to work every day, and um, you know, you go out in the sunshine and you're coaching rugby, and it's you know, you're working with a group of people that young people that want to be better every day. You know, like what what more can you really ask for? So it's a it's a great way to make a living. Yeah, it's pretty good. So what 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 position did you play there when you played? Um, I started on the wing in junior rugby, and every year I got closer and closer to the front row. Where eventually I started, I ended up playing hooker. So I'm not sure what, what that tells you about my physique, but. Um, um, I can tell you, I had, a, I had a very long morning. We went to go play at a school called Monument in uh, in uh, in Pretoria, which is a very, very good rugby school, and uh, they were significantly better than us. And we played them on a Wednesday afternoon on a very dry track in the middle of a cold winter. And I'm, I'm, I was fairly convinced that they'd rolled the track with a cricket roller. Um, and uh, and I, uh, I just remember sort of stumbling from one scrum to the next as, as this guy sort of as their pack sort of absolutely did a number on me, you know, and I think that was when I realised that I just wasn't going to be a player. 
but uh, but I loved it you know like I just loved rugby and I think that there's I guess there's something special about rugby because it's it's one of the few sports I can sort of think of where you've got to put yourself in harm's way for your teammates you know um, and the teams that are prepared to do that and do that with more intensity genuinely win um, and so your culture and, and your team spirit is is almost more important in this game than I think most other sports you know and, and that's that's probably what, what what really appeals to me about about rugby. Yeah, and for those of you listening who are not familiar with rugby, hooker is a position in rugby. Not like when my wife started watching rugby with me first. She goes, is he calling that guy a hooker? And I was like, no, no, it's a position. So it is a position in the front of the scrum in between the two props, in between the loose head and the tie head prop. So it is an actual position. So Dave is not being derogatory or making up that term as he's, he's not a street walker. <laughs> so Dave, um, at the moment, <clears throat> you guys are getting ready for the NRC competition. Um which kicks off this Sunday. I think by the time people listen to this, you'll have your first game over with and hopefully one, uh, defending your, your title. Um, what sort of, um, what's your approach at the moment with sort of leadership, coaching the guys, getting them through this competition with, with obviously the, this cloud in the background of the force? Yeah, I mean, as you say, you know, we won the competition last year. So it's, it's um, I think first and foremost, just a, a real opportunity for us to, to go back to back on that. And that's that's a real challenge for us, something that us, us as a club have, have, have not been able to do before, you know. So there's a there's a real challenge. The one thing that we've spoken about quite heavily during this period is to try to be um, a player-led, coach-supported environment, you know. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give a lot of the ownership over to the players and, and as coaches just try to um, fill in the gaps, I guess. Um, someone once described it to me as the sort of kings and queens model, which you might be familiar with, which is really this idea that the athlete is or the player is the is the kind of king of the court, and he can draw on uh, all the wisdom within the court, the, the court jester, and all his wise men, and all this sort of stuff, as and when he sees fit. Um, but really, he's ultimately responsible for his own development, and uh, because because the intensity of this competition is probably a, a little bit less than than uh, Super Rugby, we see it as a, a real opportunity for a lot of uh, individual personalised growth f- uh, from the playing group. So they need to take responsibility for that. And, and uh, uh, the more they prepare to push themselves, the more uh, you know, uh, the more upside they're going to see when we get into to Super Rugby pre-season, which starts in November. Um, so, uh, and of course, the players are, are liberated by that. You know, the, 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 many of the players really uh, have taken to that, as you as you say this morning. You know, there's no formal gym session happening down there. They've all just come in off their own bat and they're, they're working hard. You know, so many of those guys are just uh, um, are kind of liberated by that idea, and and uh, I think we'll we'll have a lot of physical, but also personal growth during this time. So, Dave, during Super Rugby, you guys are the most travelled sports team in the world, with the Auckland Raiders behind. Um, how do you, as a coach and as a leader, manage sort of sleep, international travel and jet lag? And here, we're here in David's office and he's got a map of the world behind, which I'm going to come back to in a few minutes. But this year, you guys did an epic trip, which we spoke about with Marcel, which was basically Perth to South Africa. You played a game here in Perth. Next day, you flew to South Africa, played another game in South Africa the following week, then flew to Argentina via Brazil, played another game, then flew home. And then played probably one of the best teams in Super Rugby the following week as well. So it was just a crazy time. It's tough on the players, but equally just as tough on you guys as, as the coach and leadership group um, or management group. How do you manage that on the road? What's your kind of strategy around managing jet lag and sleep? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is if you you know if you don't like flying and you don't like hotels, this is probably not a great great <laughs> job for you, you know. But um, 
One of the things we try to do you know, is, is firstly is to, to make a clear distinction between when we're working on the road and when we're relaxing because when you're on tour, if you're serious all the time, it, it just, it's too much, it's too intense for, for, for a lot of the people around the team. Uh, I'd probably be quite happy to talk about rugby 24-7 with anyone who will listen, but I don't, I don't reckon everybody in our environment's like that. Um, so what we try to do, one of the first rules of thumb that we have is that the hotel for us is like our homes. So uh, we won't, we'll never have a team meeting or anything. When I say never, very seldom have a team meeting in the hotel. And the idea is that when we're in the hotel, it's like you're at home. You're relaxing and you're doing the things that you would normally be doing at home. When we go to training, so we, we go to a field to go and train or a gym facility, that's that's when we're working and we'll have our meetings and our uh, we'll often have a team lunch and things like that out there at that facility. So already just through the environment that we're in, the players have a, have a clear distinction about when we're relaxing and when we're working. And I think that's really important so that we're giving them very clear guidelines as to as to you know when their downtime is. Um, the thing that I, I probably try to do just on a personal level is um, I try to avoid caffeine and alcohol before I fly, and that was before you told me that was probably a good thing to do. It comes from my dad. He, he used to do a fair bit of sort of overseas travel, and he just found that that really, really helped him. So for a day or two out, sort of either side of the travel, I try to avoid alcohol and uh, and caffeine. It's hard. It's harder when you've had a good win because you want to have a few beers. So again, you know, no, probably not probably not always that disciplined about it, but I, I definitely find that makes a difference. You know, and what we'll then try to do is when we land in a new city, uh, some of the management team will just go for a little bit of exercise. You know, like even if it's just a 30-minute run or something. But I feel that that just sort of clears the system a little bit, um, and also probably generally gets you into the sunshine, which which obviously helps. You know. Um, um, and then I think I think the thing that I personally try to do is I, I really try to avoid taking sleeping pills and uh, even melatonin, um, probably melatonin more liberally than, than sleeping pills. Um, for me, uh, I find that the, the, the sleeping pills have a, uh, a lag effect. I feel a bit groggy and, and, and almost a bit dazed for a couple of days after taking them, you know, and I don't know if that's, if that's a common side effect from it, but it's just my sort of personal experience of it, you know. So I tend to find that... that um, uh, melatonin and, and a bit of exercise is, tends to work a little bit better for me um, than, than than the sleepers. Um, but that's, I guess, just on a, on a personal level. And so, Dave, when you when you travel, um, you guys share rooms. Um, who's who's the who's who's the worst person to share a room with? Do you do you share a room with players? Do you pl- share a room with coaches? Yeah. Um, is there sort of like someone you avoid? Is there certain places? Is there certain people that you just you go? I'm going to share with this guy, or do you have a room to yourself, or do you just can't handle it? How do you cope with that? Because that would drive me crazy. <laughs> on my uh, on my f- on my first Super Rugby tour with the Force, I shared with Nick Cummins, and if you know the Honey Badger, the Honey Badger, <laughs> it was an absolute stitch up. Uh, um, <laughs> And uh, I think I don't know who who enjoyed it less, me or him, you know. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, I, I, luckily, luckily enough, I've, I, I'm lucky enough to get my own room now when I tour. And, and to be honest, it makes it, it makes a huge difference, you know. And it's one of the things we want to look at for, for for players and staff when we go on a, you know, sometimes we might be on the road for three weeks. And one of the challenges when you're sharing a room is you just never get any time to yourself, you know, because there's always somebody else around, and it's not your wife, you know. So. Um, as much as you like that person, or I think everybody just needs that alone time, you know. So one of the things we want to look at going forward is can we have a a, 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 a portion of the squad in their own rooms um, where they might just get you know a couple of days on rotation just by themselves in a room, you know, just to sort of freshen them up on a long tour. Yeah. So those are, that's one of the strategies we're sort of looking at going forward. Um, um, and uh, and generally the players get to choose who they room with. So you'll find that a lot of the guys, 
you know, we'll be rooming with the same guys on tour. They, they generally, you know, guys are very good friends or whatever tend to sort of stick together. Um, uh, we've we've tried different things where you know we've we've uh, I guess sort of forced guys to to uh, room with certain guys to get to know each other and different things and maybe that's applicable at the start of the season when there might be new guys in the team to try to sort of integrate them in the team but to be honest everybody sort of gets along well uh, now anyway and um, uh, you know everybody knows each other pretty well by this stage so it's you know there's no real need for that where we're at, where we're where we're at. So there might be some Force fans listening and looking for some inside info. Who is there? Is there somebody when you go to share rooms that someone always goes, "Oh, not him. He's the worst snorer." What's the inside scoop you could give people on this? Well, um, Sean Byrne, our assistant coach, had had pretty bad diarrhoea once on his first on his first tour with us, and uh, he was sharing with Kevin Foote, and Kevin Foote hit the SOS pretty quickly, and so he got uh, he got relocated. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, you know, you get that sort of stuff, but it's. Uh, um, uh, we, we're very lucky because I mean we stay in really nice hotels. You know we stay in all the top hotels, and uh, um, you know all our travels really well taken care of. And you know we get to the airport, and um, generally the, the kit manager or, or and, and the team manager have have group booked us in. So we'll arrive as the bus pulls up. You know you're just dumping your bag and you're going through. So we don't stand in the queues. I sometimes find it quite fr- confronting when I travel by myself because suddenly you've got to do all of that yourself. You know, and so uh, you don't realise how much the team manager is probably doing for you in the background when you when you're travelling as a team because. There's generally aircraft staff waiting for you to take your bags when you get to the airport and that sort of stuff, you know. So, again, I mean, all that stuff, you got to sort of pinch yourself and say, you know, life's not too bad, you know, when you when you really think about it, you know. Yeah. Dave, I want to just um, ask you about this map behind you. We've got this nice map of the world here. It says the Western Force on it, but dotted around the map, you have all these pins stuck in various locations. And I was looking at them, and they don't seem to replicate the Super Rugby Tour, although some do have some overlap, but there is some other pins. Can you tell us about these pins in this map? Yeah, so that's, uh, there's 40 pins in there. Um, and we had this idea early on that uh, really when you look at, at West Australia in general, it's it's really a community of people that have come from other parts of the world. So so many of them have come from the east coast of Australia, from Sydney and Brisbane and, and other places. But many of them have come from, from other countries. And it takes a certain personality to do that. It takes a certain personality to leave the place they were born in to move somewhere and try to create a better life for themselves and for their families. And so this exercise was about asking the playing group and the staff, so there's 40 pins in there, um, where they were born. Um, and so you'll see there's only four pins pinned in West Australia. So the other 36 are pinned all around the world. And we've got, uh, you've got Thailand, uh, Zimbabwe. Oh, all right, let's, let's hold on there. Who, who's born in Thailand? I'm actually not sure. Poland, I'd have to find that out. Um, a lot, obviously, a lot in the in the in the Pacific Islands. Uh, Marcel from the United States, there, um, Ireland, the UK. Uh, obviously, a fair few from South Africa, um, and um, um, what it what it ultimately meant for us was that um, you know so many of these guys. I mean, a lot of them grew up in Western Australia, but were born somewhere else. So they might have moved when they were very young, but still, I think it shows an underlying sort of DNA of of a person's or a family's personality, you know, like that, those those people are brave to do that. It's a sort of a pioneering spirit, uh, and so we started as a team to talk about this pioneering spirit and what are what are the characteristics of pioneers, and uh, you know we came up with a list of those things. You know, pioneers are brave, pioneers are prepared to make mistakes, pioneers learn from their mistakes, um, and pioneers sort of benefit from the richness of the group. You know, they come into a community and they make the best of what of the melting pot that's there. 
And we thought that that was very indicative of, of the people of WA. And so we wanted to play rugby in a way that made the people of, of West Australia proud. Um, and so we figured that our rugby needed to show those characteristics. So when we've, um, you know, when we've tried to play this year, we've tried to play in that way. We're, you know, we're prepared to make a few mistakes. We, we probably throw the ball around a little bit more than we have in previous years. And we understand that we're going to learn from those mistakes. It's not always going to be perfect. We're going to get bumped on our ass a couple of times. Um, but I think, I think, you know, somebody said to me last week actually over in the UK said something quite profound, which was. Uh, fans don't come to a game to watch you play, and you might be Dan Halepetti or Adam Coleman or anyone. They come to watch themselves. And it's a really profound thing, because what they're really saying is they come to see the things that they hold dear, uh, or the things that they look up to, the characteristics of of, uh, of a game that they look up to embodied in the game that you're playing, you know. Uh, and that's really, without knowing it, that's really what we were trying to do. We were trying to play in a way that represented West Australia. And I think if we were you know, if we were living in Pretoria or we were living in London, our game would have to look different because it would have to represent those people. But the way we try to play was the game that we felt West Australians would be proud of. And as I say, as it so happens, we're the only only team in Super Rugby where the TV figures and the, the, the game attendance figures are going up, you know. So it's had, it certainly had some resonance with the community. Um, um, but we are very conscious, I guess, that we're only, we're, we only just started that journey, you know. We're certainly not... Uh, we're not at a point where we're satisfied with, with where we're at. You know, we've got a lot of work still to do. It's interesting. It's awesome to see that map and hear the, hear those stories behind it. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. Might take a picture of this and put it in the show notes. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Of who, who do you remember who was born in New York? Is that New York up there in the in the USA one? So we, we had two guys from the US. So one is Marcel. So I think uh, I think New York was uh, was. Um, uh, Will, what, I've gone blank on his surname, who's just played for the United States. So he came on, essentially on, on trial with us, uh, and he's just been capped for the United States, which is which is a great story for us. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I've just gone blank on his surname. I'm getting, I'm getting old, <laughs> and that's, that's the stress. <laughs> it's, um, the phone is ringing, the hotline's here. Okay, it might be, oh, is that... Oh, I just come up with the name. Yeah, Andrew, just, Andrew, just, Andrew Forrest. Well, we just hung, we just hung up on the CEO. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the CEO's on the phone. Andrew Forrest at the door banging. So um, we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. But um, Dave, um, with, well, obviously we discussed about the Western Force. What can fans do now to help the Western Force? We have Australia playing South Africa next week. Mm. Um, we'll try and get this episode out before that. But in the next coming weeks... What would you ask the people of Western Australia to do who support the Western Force, who may be, or even those who really haven't been fans and would like to see the team stay because they're, they're interested in keeping sport in WA? What can people do now? What's a kind of a call to action that people could do to help out you guys? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some people call to, to boycott the Test match next week, and I, that doesn't sit well with me. You know, like uh, there's a lot of our boys that are in that team, in that Wallaby team, you know, so. I want us to get out there and 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 ultimately I I, I want rugby in Australia to to thrive and so I'm not sure you know I, I'm 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 sure that that's not the right approach. What I'd what I'd want people to do is to come to the game and I certainly would be wearing my Western Force colours um, and so if people could come to the game and do the same I think that'd be wonderful you know and I think that would be a real show of show of support and obviously there'll be there'll be some of the decision makers from the AOU there and I think just making a, a very vis- uh, visual statement to them, very visible statement to them about how much rugby means to us in this state is is um, is is important. Um, I think every little thing that we do now, you know, people can people can think it's it's uh, it's insignificant, but we you know we're in the we're in the trenches and we're we're fighting a pretty big battle, you know, and every little bit helps. 
Um, and I think um, you know to have as many people at the game as we can would just be would just be wonderful. If 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 for nothing else, just to support the Western Force players that are in that team. Um, and I think I, I you know I think I think that's certainly the right approach, and I, that's what I'll be doing next weekend. And for those Dave who may not be able to get to the game. Um is there anything you can do? Can they like a Facebook page? Can they go on Twitter? How can they voice their opinion? How can they add to you know the the fight? Yeah, I think and yeah, everything that the guys have done already has just been wonderful. You know, like as I say, to have ten thousand people on that ra- at that rally on a on a Sunday morning when when junior club rugby was actually taking place. So a lot of the people who might have been there weren't actually able to be there just because of the timing, and that was pretty special. You know, I, I knew people would come, but. To see the field absolutely full, you couldn't get another person in. It was pretty amazing. And um, um, all the letters and things that people have been sending to us, whether that's through through our social media channels or things, those things all get read and, you know, they um, you know they mean a lot to the team. And so um, there will certainly become, uh, well, there, there hopefully will be another formal occasion like the rally where, 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 where people can come and support. But I think in the meantime, just, you know, all the messages and things that they send and when they when they bump into us in the shopping center just the words of encouragement and things geez i think that means a lot you know and uh, um, um I, I don't think we would have got this far and i don't think we would have still be fighting if it weren't for for the people that have supported us along the way and so you know we're very grateful for all of that and we're very we're very um cognizant of the fact that we need to you know we need to reward those people for all of the belief that they've shown in us and the way we're going to try and do that going forward is through our performances you know so we're working very hard to try to make sure that we do our part in in rewarding all the people for for all the all the love and energy that they've given us that's great to hear um so yeah keep up those messages guys twitter instagram facebook any which way you can marcel spoke about this the other day he loves getting a, a tweet about the force he said it's, it's great when you read them they have a final question um, to any of our leaders out there, particularly those in Western Australia who will be leading through maybe turbulent times, supervisors, middle management, executives and so on, what would be your number one sleep tip to those um, to those leaders out there today? What would you say to them? What's the number one do? Yeah, I think probably what I mentioned earlier is making a list of, you know, almost a to-do list before you go to bed. Because I found that when, when, when things were getting on top of me, uh, I was lying in bed and, and, and thinking about those things. And I felt that when I, when I actually made a list of them, you know, uh, 15 minutes before I went to bed, it kind of cleared the decks of all of that and I could go to sleep with a very clear picture of what I needed to do the next day. Uh, and for me personally, that's, that's, that's the one that's really made a difference. You know, it's a very simple thing to do. But, um, but I found that it just, yeah, it just allowed me to, to fall asleep, kind of not having to, to, to worry or think about those things. It was almost like I had things in order for the next day, which, to be honest, probably never really works out like that. But, you know, I guess in principle, uh, I found that that's worked. And obviously trying to, trying, to, trying to be asleep by half past nine has made a big difference because it's, it's very easy to sit there and watch TV till all hours. But, um, you, you know, you're not achieving a, a huge amount by doing that, I don't think. Especially when Game of Thrones is coming to the end. Yeah, well, that's the one. Game of Thrones is obviously the one exception, you know. That's that, go, that goes without saying. Do you know what I heard yesterday, Dave? I, I read yesterday and uh, heard on numerous different uh, mediums that the last season will not be released now until 2019. How does that make you feel? Because I had sweats. Well, I'm going to go talk to Twiggy Forrest about that. <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. That was awesome, man. Thanks.